Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. I know that lots of us are already starting to think about what we want to do next summer. And we're looking at our bucket bucket list and seeing, you know, what's possible, what still has space, because already we're seeing stuff is uh, is starting to to sell out in in parts of Europe. Uh, I know one place that is on so many of our bucket lists is is going to Iceland, and one of the best ways to experience Iceland is trekking or exploring the outdoors. That's really what Iceland's all about. So I'm really excited today to have Ivar Finnbogason an Icelandic mountain guide here to tell us all about trekking in Iceland. Hi, Ivar. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you because Iceland's, you know, right near the top of, of my bucket list. I've, you know, had friends that have gone there that have shown me photos. But, you know, living in Iceland, what do you hear from people that come? You know, why is Iceland just rocking up, you know, kind of the bucket list for so many people? It's a great country. I think the outdoors are quite popular. So Iceland is accessible for the outdoors. And it's a lot of, has a lot to do with word of mouth because, I mean, people tend to come and the vibe is nice. It's nice and relaxed. Uh, it's not actually overcrowded, although it's been getting quite popular and, and some places might be a little bit crowded. So people go back home with, with great stories and, and tell their friends it's not actually as rainy as, <laughs> as the story has it. And I mean, it's it's also like a safe destination. You know, when, when you think about the world's safety, we're, we're on top of everyone's list for the safest place to be in or live in or visit or, or however you want to put it. And then uh, the occasional eruption that makes the news does, you know, just makes it a little bit more interesting and, um, and yeah, gets us in the news. It's all good advertisement. <laughs> yeah, I remember years ago there was a volcanic eruption in Iceland that kept me grounded in London for a connecting flight over to Heathrow. And uh, not not just you. <laughs> uh, well, it was great. They put me up in like it was it was over Chris just after Christmas. They put me up in like a four or five star hotel in central London. So thank you, Iceland and British Airways, for five wonderful days in London. <laughs> um, so so Iceland is an island. I'm always surprised at, you know, how varied it is and the different parts of it. Can you maybe describe, you know, for someone who, you know, just knows, you know, just can envision this little island, what are the different parts of Iceland that people can go and explore? I mean, most people come for the South Shore, which uh, which basically has a lineup of, of sites. One of my jokes is that after the first day, you have something called waterfall fatigue. It's <laughs> just endless waterfalls. The geology is quite different because the the rock is relatively soft, so easily eroded, making quite um, intense forms and big cliffs and 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 things like that that are different from from, for example, a, a granite area or a, or the Alps or something. It's just like the geology in itself. Even with all these things, even with the geothermal temperature, the biggest difference with Iceland and most other places is the lack of trees. Uh, you just have this, these endless views, and um, and that's what I I miss most when I travel abroad. You know, driving on a highway somewhere, and you see trees, 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 and they all look the same. You know, 
but in Iceland, I I drive you know the same road. I've probably been hundreds of times, and and I'm always seeing something new in the distance because we just got these wide open spaces, and it's probably not something people would put in the brochure. But I think you know talking to people, seeing how they react, I think that is the unique thing, really. It's interesting. I I never thought of that, but. I know uh, I love hiking in old uh, Fireburns here in the Canadian Rockies because you have these views from the parking lot all the way up. And, and normally here in Canada, you spend two or three hours getting above the tree line. And I, I hadn't thought of that, but I love when you can hike from wherever the trailhead is and, and have the views the entire way, which is what you have have in Iceland. So everyone that I know, they you know, their dream is to do, you know, this one kind of classic trek. And I'm not sure. So one of these things, everyone goes, wants to do the same thing, thinking that's the only great thing there. Obviously, there's a lot more. But the Legavigur trek, and I'm terrible. My Icelandic is a bit rusty. I hope I got that close. But can you maybe describe, you know, why this trek is so popular? And then a little bit of the details about it. The lower trek definitely is popular nowadays because it it made kind of the headlines of, of or the top of these lists you know the national geographics i don't know top 20 hikes in the world or something like that uh but the reason for why it made that those lists is is it's so varied it's like you start up in the usually you start up in landmannalaug or up in the on the highlands and that's a rhyolite area so colorful uh mountains around there's geothermal heat you basically walk past these little geothermal spots. You can take a bath in a in a geothermal pool before you head out from from Landmannlaugar. Walk through a lava field, which is uh, only a few hundred years old, and then the landscape just keeps changing. You you come a little bit lower down. There's a little bit more vegetation. Then you walk through basically a sand desert. Uh, and f- finally, you end up in a, in an Icelandic forest, which means that the trees are not very tall, but they're they're there. Always around the corner, you have something new, and you're always kind of walking down from the highlands. So as you look down, if the weather is nice, you you have these amazing long views, glaciers in the distance, and so on. So I think the, the, you can find all of these other things in different areas in Iceland, but whoever made Laugavegur kind of put them all together in, in one package, which is, I, I've never seen that anywhere else, to be honest, uh, in Iceland or, or definitely not outside of Iceland because Iceland tends to be kind of a little bit more compact. Everything is kind of squeezed into <laughs> a smaller package, which is nice if you're hiking and you know, you're not moving too, too fast through the landscape. It sounds incredible. And having seen the photos, it is like it just kind of has blown me away. Is this is this a type of trip where you, you know, you're carrying everything on your back, including your tent? Or are there some mountain huts or huts that you can stay in? There are um, four huts on the on the trail, Landmannalaugar, uh, where you can can stay. But we, we, we actually just arrived there in the morning. We uh, hike for 12K. And the next hut is, is Rattinusker. And then Altavatnan and uh, Amsterdam are the, the following huts. All of the huts, and almost all the huts in Iceland are built so that they're accessible by road. So it's not, it's not that we're hiking on the road. The, a, a vehicle can kind of loop around. 
and when we do these hikes uh, we carry our day pack and everything else travels on the on a you know modified vehicle we call them super jeeps in iceland huge tires um, and they bring the food and the personal kind of bigger luggage sleeping bag and so on from hut to hut um, so it's actually quite comfortable hiking just a quick question about the huts. Like I know sometimes people, you know, when you go to the Alps, some of those huts are really luxurious. And I know the huts here in Canada, some of them are, you know, just a, a room with a couple of cots in them. What are the Icelandic huts like? Uh, kind of in between there. So um, there will be bunk beds and there will be a kitchen. And usually the guide is, is kind of managing the, the cooking and we get a bit of help from, from the people on the trip. Uh, which basically just makes up for a nice atmosphere. Most of the huts have uh, flushing toilets and, and water. Only the first one up in Trappunskir is a little bit more primitive in terms of that, uh, but still quite okay. So yeah, it's kind of a, an in-between the, the, the hotels you'll have in Switzerland <laughs> and, and what they would call a bivy in, uh, in Europe, what, what you were describing as kind of just a... You know, a couple of wooden boards put together, but you know, comfortable, warm, you know, no issues. The but at the same time, uh, if people are considering something else than Lögavöllen, the huts would probably be the reason for doing that because the Lögavöll trail is really popular. So um, the huts tend to be, I wouldn't say stuffed, but definitely fully booked. Are there other options? You know, if someone wants to, you know, carry a tent, are there tent pads where they can camp or can they set up tents around the huts or is, are huts the only option? There is a campsite there. But if you do in one of the guided trips, it's definitely going to be huts because uh, that's, that's just what we can sell, basically. And, and camping definitely is not something that uh, the bigger market is, is out for, unfortunately. And then how hard is it? Is this a trek that, you know, people have done a you know, bit of hiking can undertake, you know, if they're going to stay in the huts or is this one that has, you know, quite big days? There's no, no really big day. So the longest day is about 19K. Uh, now I totally forgot to put miles on there. Sorry about that. That one is pretty flat. So it's probably about six hours of worth of hiking really during the day. And if you're only carrying a day pack, it's all quite doable for most people. So we kind of say if you, you don't have to be fit, but you have to be in good health, you know, to do to do this. Uh, and for a lot of people, this is the first real hiking experience that they have, and uh, and that's that's fine. Uh, it, it works. <laughs> you know, if that's your first kind of trekking experience or you know hiking experience, the bar is being set very <laughs> high. You know, if you if you come home and you're like, oh, I'm expecting every place I go in the world to be like that. Yeah, uh, then you'll unfortunately you'll be disappointed. Yeah, well, you'll you'll just have to go to New Zealand next or something then. <laughs> so, am I right? It's four nights, five days. Is that kind of the standard itinerary for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess the nice thing, the bags being packed. You know, you don't have to worry about carrying all your food every day. It's not like, you know, backpacking where you're in a tent, you're carrying all your gear and all your food. You just have a nice day pack and then, you know, your food and your well, your hot clothes are going to show up. So it's a very, um, it's a very gentle introduction to, you know, kind of trekking, uh, which is a lot nicer than if your first trek's going to be with a 40 pound bag on your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just what people prefer prefer the, these days i mean that's what i prefer these days to be honest although i used to do the other <laughs> thing um 
and uh and, uh, the the aim is to make this an enjoyable experience and uh and i think we we're with the luggage luggage transport we're able to do that and and the other thing which we do um is we we have pretty good food you know that's a huge part of it so having a meal together uh in the evening cooking something nice uh we usually start off with with fresh fish on the first night and then uh, a, a big breakfast and and making a sandwich for the for the road and then you just have your you know your empty water bottle actually because you can drink water pretty much everywhere uh so so yeah it's it's easy living it's way nicer than having your know, little boil in the bag or add water to some dehydrated meal uh it's nice to have like nice meals is such a luxury after a hard day walking i can uh understand the pleasure of nice meals and not having to carry all your stuff as well yeah and it's it's breaking bread you know it's it's communal thing sitting together with people from all over the world and uh you know enjoying a meal and uh and for me that's some of the best parts of these trips is is just the experience of cooking and you know chilling out with people i know there's a there's a book by a guidebook author in in the uk and it's all about kind of the beauty of of mountain huts and just it's these shared experiences where you know most times you know people aren't on their phone they're not on their laptop they're not checking their email they've all just had a really great day outdoors or if it's been really you know wet or snowy a really challenging day and they come into you know a little cozy hut and have a you know a hearty meal a bit of wine and um it really is, you know, you have a really good time because you get to know people in a different way from kind of the superficial way where, you know, people you work with or, you know, your neighbors, you kind of sit down and can have a two or three hour chat over dinner and kind of really get to know people who are, you know, invariably kind of interesting because they have chosen to leave wherever they're from and travel and do this, you know, remote trip. Uh, I agree. It's it's often the best part of the or not, not the best part, but it's another great part of the day just spending this time in a, in, you know, a cozy mountain hut. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, and the, and this is something that's very difficult to explain to people who haven't tried it. Um, and you see, it's a bigger, you know, more and more we have to explain this idea because people just want to, you know, have their, you know, double rooms and and just go into the room and <laughs> play with their phone in the evening and and meet the others during dinner and then leave, you know, because they don't understand the value of this. But uh, for me. If there was a choice between a nice hotel or a mountain hut, I would pick the mountain hut any day. You know, it's just like, it's just just what you described. It's just such a much nicer way of building a community with your fellow travelers. I'm just like you. Now I know that it's you mentioned it's hard to get bookings. It's sold out. You know, the huts are booked every night. And so if someone is you know looking you know later later in spring, they're trying to you know they're coming to Iceland, and there's no space on the Lagavulin trail what are some other options that they can look at that are similar that are also really great treks yeah we actually have one called uh, volcanic trails which uh which is the same area so it starts off a little bit further in the highlands uh also has huts on it uh it's actually a seven day in total and um and kind of kind of loops on the side of the Lögavegur and then then travels into the into Lögavegur and ends in the middle of the Lögavegur trail. Um, also, a really nice option, and a lot less traffic. So most likely, 
uh, with with most of the huts, it's just going to be the group that you're on, and that's it. Especially for someone like me who's guiding these things, is is really really nice because then I can you know take out my speakers and play Icelandic music. And <laughs> it just relaxes the atmosphere a little bit. But yeah, that that would be my option B for uh, for if people want to see these kind of sites and this kind of landscape. Um, and either because they weren't fast enough to book Lögavegur or that they just want somewhere with a little bit less people, then, then that would be the, the, a great option. Being in a full mountain hut's nice, but also, you know, if it's just, you know, a small group in the mountain hut as the sun sets, you, it feels like you're, you know, you've stolen something that you get, you know, the beautiful landscape just for yourself. And then in the morning you get the same thing. You're just getting that beauty just to you know, a small group of eight or 10 or 12 people, which I think is really special. I know Iceland's a massive, you know, not a massive country, but there's a massive diversity of places. Um, what are some other other treks in Iceland that, you know, maybe show a different side to the country? Well, one of my favorites is actually in the eastern part. We have uh, this trek called Viknaslóir, which is in the far east, going from uh, the town of Seydisfjörður over to the town of uh, Borgarfjörður. Also got huts, really, really nice huts. Also very slow traffic, but all on the shore. Um, so you're kind of, you know, seeing the ocean every day, going over some mountain passes, which have a bit of history to them uh, because people used to live in these uh, isolated valleys which we're traveling into. And because it's in the east, because you, yeah, it's kind of a little bit harder to access, we quite often have to fly in or it would take you like two days to drive to the beginning of the track. There's a lot less people. Um, again, seems to be the theme for me, avoiding people. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that that would be one. And uh, another one is is the the fingers on the northwestern side of Iceland, if you know the, the map of Iceland, which are the West Fjords. So that's another really remote place. And uh, and from the Westfields, you can so sail over from the kind of last village over to the to the northern, very northern part of the Westfjord to Hortstrandir. And uh, and there's also really nice hiking there, and um, and a place where you know the 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 fox living there is is so at ease that they will come and eat food from your hand and things like that. So. Um, so you can imagine, you know, how how wild and untouched by humans they are if they're willing to do that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And and, and so getting to these, you know, is it easy to get flights to get to these more remote places, or are they kind of charter flights, or you know, how 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 does that work in Iceland? Well, yeah, there's as as the just the domestic flights, which you know leave I, I don't know how many times a day. Like if you go to the east, I guess it's two flights a day. I guess the same if you fly. Uh, to Isafjörður in the in the western part, yeah. So it's it's relatively easy. Yeah. Is there is there enough diversity that if someone comes and does Lagavagur, Hornstrander is so different that you know it would be like a totally different part of Iceland? Or is there or is 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 there similarity? Uh, so again, like I mentioned, with with the unique part of Iceland being the trees and the geology, the geology in these two areas is totally different. So if you if you remember your geography uh, with the tectonic plates, 
So as the tectonic plates are moving apart, then Iceland rises up between them, the Euro-Asian and the, and the uh, North American plate. And, uh, and the center of Iceland is the volcanic heart, so to say, of the, of the island uh, with all the new stuff. And the, both the East Fjords and the West Fjords on the, on the West side and the East side, uh, they are the old rock. Uh, so basalt, something kind of related to granite, made deep in the ground, erodes totally differently. Uh, so yeah, kind of a little bit more like Norway, if you remember the the pictures where they're sailing the ferries between the in the fjords and so on. Um, so yeah, totally, totally different in those terms. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely worth two or three visits to Iceland. Well, I know we have one one contributor, and she's done I think four or five different treks in Iceland, and she yeah she just says it's just the most incredible place to go, and you know her her view is yeah there's just so much to see there, and uh, it's all just kind of so incredibly beautiful. So uh, I know internally we have one person who just is like the biggest uh, the biggest Iceland fan. Um, you mentioned guided trips where you're with the group. Uh, I know some people really like self-guided trips. You know, it gives them a bit more freedom each day to, you know, when they start, when they finish, as well as it's a really attractive price point. Um, are all of the trips you've been talking about, are they all available self-guided and guided or are some only available as guided trips? No, I'm the guide, so I <laughs> know too much about it. I We do sell Lega Vegor as a, a self-guided option. Um, so taking care of a bit of, bit of the logistic issues with getting there and the hut. Um, and we do sell a lot, you know, we have a lot of self-guided options for, for driving around and things like that. And, and obviously people can make a package which includes the uh, any kind of hike that you want. Um, but quite often when it comes to logistics, um, the, you know, if, if there isn't really a transport into the area regularly, then the self-guided option becomes difficult because you need, you know, a specific vehicle, boat, plane, or whatever to get in, uh, which often makes more sense with uh, with a larger group. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it totally makes sense. Um, so when people are, are coming to Iceland, you know, everyone kind of has their standard, you know, trekking bag with their gear. Is there anything unique that, you know, they need to bring because Iceland might be a little bit different from, you know, if they're used to trekking in North America or in the Alps? Uh, yeah, it probably comes largely down to the lack of trees. <laughs> it does get quite windy in Iceland and it occasionally rains, <laughs> not as often as, as most people claim. But you definitely, you have to come in prepared for the worst of days and the best of days. So, so if we're talking summer, you know, don't forget your sunglasses. The sun does get out and it becomes quite grim. Don't forget your t-shirt and, and shorts. Uh, but at the same time, you have to have good rain gear, tops and bottoms, and no ponchos. <laughs> ponchos don't work in the wind. Bring that proper gear you know and an insulating layer in the summer you know that there's there's not a huge drop in temperature at night because the sun actually doesn't set properly but it does get colder and it's nice to have you know light puffy with you uh in addition to to everything else um so yeah it's just not skimping on on that protective gear i would say is is the biggest thing 
It's funny. I just did a, a, a trip in the Swiss Alps and it snowed uh, the entire trekking uh, trip. And uh, I had, you know, my, you know, my leather boots, I'd treated them with Nick, Nick wax before my feet were dry as, you know, the entire time, every day we'd come in, my feet were warm and dry. You know, we were wearing rain gear, you know, only our eyes were visible. Um, but most of the group had these kind of light trekkers and the snow would get on. There's all, and their feet were by the end, you know, were like pickled up almost. And it was, it was, a, you know, we all think, oh yeah, like light trekkers are good. And for a day hike, you don't notice it. But when you're going on a multi-day trek, having waterproof footwear is just such a difference maker because, you know, putting on wet shoes in the morning and then having wet feet all day. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things. Yeah, they're a bit heavier to have the Gore-Tex or the leather boots, but it just makes life so much easier. It is terrible. Kind of has to be protected from the elements. I, I guess the biggest thing I see is actually, actually most people bring good boots to Iceland, but they sometimes um, don't have rain pants because they're just not used to it. Or maybe they're used to kind of just having an umbrella. And I'll admit I carry an umbrella with me and occasionally I use it. But, you know, I, I can afford it because <laughs> people don't laugh at me. They know I'm a local. But if you would bring an umbrella to Iceland, people are laughing. You know, you're never going to use this in Iceland. It's too windy. And so that's why you actually, you know, you, you can't get away without good rain pants, good rain gear, because sometimes the, the rain just comes horizontally at you, you know, and you're you're just going to be having an adventure that's going to end in the hut, you know, sitting around the, the fire or the gas heater, and which is enjoyable, you know, type two kind of fun. But you have to be prepared for that when you come to Iceland. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I remember my first pair of rain pants were one of those ones that are, you know, there's no zips. They're like, you know, the ones that are just like a little, like a furnace. Like your legs are sweating on the inside because there's there's no airflow. And then I got a sail on a pair of Gore-Tex rain pants, and then life became so much better because they vent a little bit. You can unzip them, and uh, I, it's it's the point now where actually like the rain doesn't even really bother me. I even have neoprene gloves here in Canada because it can you know snow. But like literally, you can spend the entire day hiking and you're nice and toasty inside. And uh, when you start doing that, like it's actually like kind of a, a rainy day is kind of fun because you're all toasty and you feel like you know you're an explorer out traveling. So um, yeah, buying a bit of good gear goes a long way to enjoying the outdoors. You know, this has been really great, Ivor. I really like hearing about you know Iceland and the different parts of it. And um, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show and and sharing you know, sharing your passion, obviously, for Iceland and the outdoors uh, and why this is such a fantastic adventure destination. Yeah, well, you're welcome. And uh, I'll, I'll see you in Iceland next summer. My kids, my wife and I, we always we have this list and it's like, you know, they want to go to Peru first, but they're fascinated by volcanoes. You mentioned tectonic plates. And so they're fascinated. They want to see a real volcano that looks like a traditional volcano. So uh, it's it's on our bucket list the next few years to get over there. And what you described just, you know, just made it more more real. Uh, and for those listening, I'm going to put some links to the treks I've already discussed in the show notes. Uh, so you can kind of check out and see some see some photos of, of you know, what Iceland has to offer because it really is spectacular. Um, and with that, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures on the 10 Adventures podcast. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.